yeah, this this is not. I don't take this lightly. I think I say that, say that every time, but you just need to know I, I don't take this lightly. Um, but it is a privilege to stand before a community and and just unpack some scriptures, sit under scripture together, and um, yeah. So thank you, thank you, Ryan, for trusting me and for. Uh, pulling me towards what I'm supposed to be doing, even though sometimes <laughs> I may not want to comply. Um, all right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Acts chapter 4. This is going to be our anchor passage, and we're going to look back to chapter 3 at times as well. But this is um, a passage of Scripture that, for me, um, is like it's like it's tattooed on my eyes. <laughs> I and we, there's a specific there's a specific text we'll come to, but I just can't let go of the story. And uh, I'm hoping that over the next few moments, God will show you what He's been showing me through this text. Um, all right, let's start at chapter one. The priests. And the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others, the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an, for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised up from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man had been healed, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Let's pray really quick. God, would you open up our hearts? Would your word come alive this morning? 
I thank you that already, Holy Spirit, you are ministering. And we are just joining into the slipstream of what you're already doing. Jesus, I've done what I can to prepare. My heart is yours. My heart is open. And so speak through me supernaturally this morning. May my words be your words. I want to honor you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a pretty incredible story, isn't it? Such boldness and faith. This, it's like a scene out of a movie. You can, it kind of reminds me of that scene with uh, Tom Cruise and who's that other guy from that military movie. You can't handle the truth. It's like tense. You can feel how tense it is. But Peter has just such boldness and he's, He's standing there giving an account, proclaiming the name of Jesus in front of these religious leaders. And they have nothing on him. There's a line in here. I told you there's a line that's tattooed on my eyes. It's verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. It sounds... (laughs) That almost sounds like an insult, doesn't it? It's a weird way to it's a weird way to remember them in such a heroic moment. Unschooled and ordinary. Like if you called me that, I'd probably be semi-offended. <laughs> I, I don't get offended easy, but that would I'd be like, okay, cool, thanks. I just love you. You're so unschooled and ordinary. <laughs> oh, okay, thank you. But it's not usually something you you'd want to be remembered by, right? Seems a bit strange, but especially in our culture, where the way, the way you self-identify is like of highest importance. That is in direct contrast with our culture. In fact, it was in direct contrast of this culture. Where you come from, where you're going, the pedigree, it's all the same. It just looks different. And so here we are in the scene. These two men are standing before the Sanhedrin, and we're going to build. We're going to look back in chapter three to see what actually happened there. But unschooled and ordinary, the writer of Acts, Luke, he's quite intentional to add this because he does call them unschooled and ordinary, but he also said that the Sanhedrin was astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's what they saw. Ordinary, okay-looking dudes standing up for what's true, filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, these guys, all right, these guys, they've been with Jesus. So let's walk through the text really quick. Let's go back to chapter 3. And for, for us to understand how we got to chapter 4, we have to read a bit of chapter 3. It's an amazing story. Some of you will probably know this. There's a song about it. You probably learned in Bible school if you're young. You've been in church long enough. But Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. And there's a lame man that's been laid in front of the gate. 
in that gate's called beautiful. And he's there begging for money. And when he sees Peter and John about to enter, he asks them for money. Peter looks straight at him, as did John. Then Peter says, look at us, which means he was passively asking for money. So Peter commands him to look at him, and he says, so the man gave him an attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do give, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Could you imagine that happening? Incredible. Then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. And then it goes on in chapter 3. Peter basically preaches the gospel to the Jews. But what an amazing, what an amazing story. And so then when we pick up in, in Acts chapter 4, they've been seized. The Sanhedrin is opposing them, figuring out what's going on here. How did this happen? Whose authority are you under? So they seize them, the religious elite. One thing you'll always notice is the religious or political spirit will always try to capture and contain what God's doing. Because you'll have to realize something that Peter and John, like two, one, two chapters before is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the church's birth. It didn't take long for people to not like what was going on. That's one thing you'll always have to remember. You'll always be in opposition with what the political and the religious elite will want. If what you want is what Jesus wants, his kingdom advancing, you'll be at odds. That's a hard truth, but we see it here. Two chapters after the church is born. So they're seized, brought before the Sanhedrin, Peter preaches the gospel filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Sanhedrin has nothing on them. They take notice of their authority, and they're let go. So my question is, why all the fuss over this healing? Like, who, who cares, kind of? <laughs> like, that's great. He was healed. Let's move on. But why was it so offensive to this group? Why was it so offensive to the Sanhedrin that this man was healed? In order for us to understand that, we have to understand who the, who the Sanhedrin were, who the Sadducees were, which Luke calls out here in chapter 4. Why were they so annoyed with Peter and John? They've done something noble by every account. They've brought restoration to a man who couldn't walk. We have to understand that the Sadducees were essentially a political party keeping the peace between Rome and the Jews. That's important to know. They were given power, but just enough power. 
So keep the peace. We occupy you. Rome says we occupy you, but you guys can run your own little thing. Here's a Sanhedrin. Essentially, it's like a great high court. And the Sadducees specifically didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the supernatural nature of God. They didn't believe in the spiritual realm. So angels and demons. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They did not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. So Peter's entire appeal for why this man was healed is in direct opposition with the Sadducees' entire predisposition. So why, was he frustra- why are they frustrated? Because everything that Peter is declaring is in opposition to what they believe and what they teach. Jesus is the Messiah, Peter says. Listen to these claims. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was murdered by you. You murdered him. He says that. Jesus was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus healed this man. No authority or name other than the name of Jesus is able to do what has happened to this man. You'll notice that none of Peter's claims had anything to do with Peter or John or how qualified they were. They didn't tout any sort of pedigree, title, or moniker that qualified them. And they could have because they had been with Jesus for three years. They had sat with him. They had learned from him. They'd seen him perform miracles. They could have laid that out first. Hey, just before I give you my appeal, just so you know, I was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. It's like, oh, okay. Oh. But he, they don't, he doesn't do that. I would have done that. I know myself. I would have put that out first. Just so you know, I know this dude. Um, this is, he's part of my tribe. He doesn't do that. Even more, so he doesn't, he doesn't lay out his pedigree, but even more, it was made clear what they were known for, that they had been with Jesus. Without him saying anything to the degree, it was so obvious on them, the power and the authority that he carried. And I believe this is the entire point of the story. Having been with Jesus should be the thing that we're known for. Not a tribe, not a name, not a title, having been with Jesus. That sounds, like, even as I'm saying it, that sounds abstract, but it's so simple, <laughs> isn't it? That's, like, that's, that's not what we hear too often, right? It's about Jesus and these other things, though. This tribe, you're part of my tribe, you're part of this thing, you're part of this movement. And these things aren't bad. I think it's good to have people that you track with, that you roll with, that you want to do ministry with. But you can't put that in front of what's most important, which is him. So I'm I'm forcing a point here, like put yourself in the scene again. They're standing in front of a high court. They haven't said anything other than given an appeal of who's healed this man. And they go, they've been with Jesus. 
That's the entire point. So my question for us today is, what can we be known for? Or what are we known for? Some of us would see being ordinary and unschooled as a handicap or an insult. But I don't think Luke's, Luke sees it that way. But I think this is because we bank so much on self-identification in our culture. The way you identify yourself and present yourself is of highest importance. The school you went to, the job title you have, the race to the top, the group or the groups you associate with, the things you've done, the accomplishments that you have. But I even see it in the church, the need for self-identification, hyphenated Christianity. I'm a this Christian. I'm a this Christian. I'm with this tribe. These aren't necessarily bad, but they can't come first. The only thing that was made obvious to the council was that they had been with Jesus. That means it was so, so obvious what they were known for. So, like, what, what is self-identification robbing us of? Do we put more emphasis on, I want to be known for this and be known for this? Where opportunities like this are around the corner for us, but we may miss them. Are you with me? I'm fascinated by someone like uh, Francis Chan. I don't know if any of you know who that is. Many of you probably will. But if you don't, he, he was and is a very influential Christian leader. He went to one of the top theological schools. He built a church really from nothing in his living room to a thriving community. He is an incredible Bible teacher. Puts his heart and soul, every time you watch him, you just, you're on the verge of crying because he's kind of on the verge of crying. One of those speakers, you know? But a few years ago, he walked away from it all. And I don't think he did it to be controversial. He said in an interview I was listening to on a podcast, he said, I, we built all this stuff and it was good stuff. But he says, I, I, I missed him the whole time. That's wild to me. Because he's a hero, right? He's a hero in the faith. Written books, an amazing speaker, well-known. But he's like admitting, I, I built all this stuff, and, the, and the, the, these things aren't inherently bad. But I, I, missed, I missed him. Like, I want to be known for knowing him. Incredible. So he walked away from it all. Goes into obscurity. Everyone's writing him off. Ah, apostate. Those that were waiting were like, knew it, you know? And he just sort of slowly reemerges and he's, he's doing like, 
he's, the ministries he's part of now, you're kind of like, man, that's a 360. Like what you're building now is so different. But that couldn't have been him. That's him realizing what his life is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a reflection of Jesus. And that's it. So someone like that can walk away from it all. But you understood the prize. The prize is knowing him. Having been with Jesus is what we should ought to be known for. I'm driving this home. It's a simple message, but I feel really deeply that this is somewhat prophetic. I feel like we've come through t- crazy times in the last couple couple years. And I think we're going to come through some more crazy times. But you know what will not shake you is knowing where you're rooted. I don't think anyone went through COVID or anything that happened in the last two, three years, you know, unscathed. Something came up. But those that chose Jesus, you made it through. You're here. We're here. And that's a testament of what matters most, knowing him. Are you with me? So how do I move towards this? What can I learn from the scene? I mean, you could do an entire series on this one chapter. It's incredible. Um, and that was the hard part about putting this message together. It's like, oh, this thing. Oh, but this revelation. Oh, this is, and I just had to pull it together. But there's a few things. There's three things, three points. It's always nice to walk away with some points, isn't it? There's three things you can walk away with, I, I believe, that God's showing us in this and a few other texts. So how do we move towards this? Number one, I would say put off self-identification. Don't settle for being known for something inferior than a follower of Jesus. Yeah, even as I say that, it's like Vancouver 2022. Like, what does that look like? You know? Fast-paced, do this, do more, have this, have that. But it all falls flat. Frankly, like, none of it will matter when you die. That, like, that's a really frank statement. But as soon as you die, none of, that, none of that matters. That was like, that hit me so hard yesterday when I was preparing. Because I, <clears throat> I work hard provide for my family. I work hard to get a job title that gets me in the room with the white people for more opportunities. But that can't come first to me knowing Jesus. Because I will build an empire of sand. And when the hard times come, you'll be washed away. It's all inferior your job title, the family you come from, the tribe you're a part of. These are all good things. They're not inherently bad, but nothing compares to knowing Jesus. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus, being known for that. 
Self-identification is a work of the flesh. It's in direct contrast with the gospel of grace. Because everything that Jesus gives to you is given to you as a free gift. But everything we do in culture and in life, we have to work towards. It's a work of the flesh. So I want to look at Paul's example in Philippians 3. This is... Yeah, let's just read it. Philippians 3, verse 4 through 11. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteous, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. You want to talk about someone who's qualified to do something? It's Paul. Born of the right lineage, a Pharisee. And when we say Pharisee, he was like a Pharisee's Pharisee. You know, like he's part of the small elite within like being a Pharisee. His understanding of the Old Testament is you can't compare him to anyone else. Shows us such great leadership in this passage. I did it all. I have it all. And it was worth nothing. I throw it away. throws it all out for the sake of knowing Christ, for the sake of being known because of Christ. Knowing Christ and experiencing his transforming power is the only identifier that matters. So throw away what doesn't matter. Exchange what you think you need to hold dear for what he has for you. That's my invitation to you. Hyphenated Christianity will only hold back the church. And our community is putting high stakes in this. That's why, like, last week when, when Ryan preaches something, like, you have full access. We, we have to understand it. It's hard to grasp it. But with the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we'll, we'll get there. Because we need it. We need times of refreshing in the presence of God where we find mercy and grace because we will go and go and go. And it's amazing. 
it's amazing how much we can do outside of the grace of God. But that shouldn't impress us. It, when I, I know where, when I, where I get to, when I've been going too far without the grace of God. Number two, pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit in you every day. You'll notice that Luke prefaces that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 4, verse 8, before he gave his account to the Sanhedrin. Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. He was there on Pentecost. In fact, he was the one that stood up and recognized what was happening. Yeah, he was filled again for this moment. That's a marker for us. That there are going to be moments in life like this. Maybe not as intense. Maybe not so much of a movie scene. But there will be moments in life that, we put, that are put before us where we're going to need the Spirit. Jesus actually promised his disciples that something like this would happen. You're going to be put before judges and rulers. But don't worry. I'll tell you what to say. That's huge. Being filled with the Spirit, he gives us the ability to know what to say for the right time. Sometimes we ask the question wrong. Is like, would you give, like, if you're put in the, the scenario where it's like Jesus or anything else, would you do it? And I go, well, I, I really hope I, would, I asked for the Holy Spirit that day because that, would, that changes the answer. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was filled again. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit in your life every day. I've been challenged in my life to do this. God, give me grace for today. God, fill me for today. Because I can't last off what happened last week. I can't last what happened off yesterday. It's grace to grace, strength to strength. God, I invite you, fill me right now with your Holy Spirit. So that whatever comes my way, I'm prepared. And here's the thing, God is so smart because when you ask him every day, when something like this comes, you're already prepared. Because the little things happen in days, right? Maybe a kid responds in the wrong way and you feel the Holy Spirit go, relax. You know, I was watching my kids over the weekend. My wife got to go away for her birthday. And literally, like Friday morning or yesterday morning, I like have this preach on my mind but I'm not wanting to like annoy my wife and I'm taking care of the kids and we're trying to figure out like what to do for the day. I, I just stood in my room. Seriously, I stood in my, I said, God, give me grace for today and fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's it. like every, everybody can do that. That's an invitation for all of us. Be filled with the Holy Spirit in your everyday. And number three, Allow the work of transformation to be your signpost. <clears throat> You'll notice that um, the Sanhedrin had nothing on Peter and John. Because the lame man was standing right there. There's no argument. I 
Acts 4, verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there with them, there was nothing they could say. I love the way that this commentator puts it. What can you say? Here's this guy. His legs are straight. He's smiling. He's standing. What can you say? You can't say anything against it. Here is evidence that you can't deny. You can't deny the power of the name of Jesus when he is standing right there with a smile so big when you know the condition he was in all his life. What the church needs today is more lame men standing whole in its midst. That's the kind of evidence that cannot be denied. What can you say? A mentor of mine used to always say, you can argue all day about peripheral things, but the one thing you can't argue with is a transformed life. Apologetics and knowing, knowing the Bible, and these are important things. Know what you believe, but you know it speaks volumes, the transformation that's happened in your life. Because no one can argue with you. And as I look around this room, I know the stories of so many of you. You were this way one day, now you're this. There were environments you were comfortable being in before, now you're not comfortable being in them anymore. That's transformation. There was substance abuse one day, but God got a hold of you and he changed your desires and you can't even look at those things anymore without feeling sick. Like I've talked to so many of you in this room who have gone through that and who are going through that. And you need to know that that is the gospel on display. I don't care who you are, how far you've come, or how far you've gone. If you don't know Jesus, that's available for you. And he'll change you in an instant. You can't argue with that. It's the beauty of the gospel. So I'll say it again, exchange your self-identities for your true identity in Christ. Number two, pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to be made manifest in your everyday life. This will train you for when these moments come. And number three, allow the work of transformation to be your signpost. Allow that to point to whatever arguments you find yourself in. read Galatians 3, 24 and 29, 24 through 29. And as I read that, yeah, the band can make its way back up and we're going to respond and worship Jesus for a while. But now that faith, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. Actually, we're going to start before that verse 25. Sorry, guys. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. You know, sometimes we can read something like this and we go, wait, do those things don't matter? I don't think that's the point Paul's making here. He's saying, you're one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, you're part of the promise. And that's what matters most. The, the other identities we carry, where we come from, where we're going, these aren't bad things. But the one thing that stands true is Jesus is the thing that not only unites us, but is that what we're going to be known for. So why don't we just stand really quick? We're just going to take a moment. We're going to just allow the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit right now. Allow him to bring up any areas that we're carrying, any self-identity that we're carrying, anything we've picked up from the culture that doesn't belong, anything that comes before us being known for knowing Jesus, anything we've put here in front of us. Just allow him to point out what doesn't belong or what needs to fall behind. Just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what identities am I carrying that I don't need to carry? brought before you just invite you just to open up your hands and just hand that over to Jesus that's the amazing thing about Jesus he doesn't ask us to give up these things on our own and to try on our own he wants to be part of the process and there's a call to a great exchange to happen right now where we take off what isn't ours what doesn't actually belong and we make room for him to be at the forefront. Last night, I was as I was thinking about this, I, I just saw a, a picture of some of us holding like red hearts. I don't know what these red hearts represent, if it means, yeah, I don't know what it represents, but I just feel like God wants you to just put those red hearts down. there's identities you've picked up from the world, from the culture, 
Just lay them down. Give them to Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. We thank you for your ministry in this moment right now. And I pray that we would walk out changed, that you would invite us into a deeper calling. And that's to know you and to be known by you and to be known because of you. Ordinary doesn't sound so bad when the thing you want to be known for is being known by because of Jesus. It's worship.